Well, we're so excited to be able to continue our series called Anthem of Hope. And so uh, if you're just joining with us, we've spent several weeks now acknowledging that in this season of pandemics and, and fires and division and unrest and difficulty and exhaustion and isolation and, and just how hard this season has been, we all are in need of hope. And as we've been singing the anthem of hope, of singing a song, Living Hope, uh, throughout the many, many weeks of this series, uh, we just want to continue to um, ask that you would join us in a word of prayer as we dive into what this hope looks like. Uh, and specifically tonight, as we talk about the sermon topic of how often we may become too afraid to hope and what it looks like when that becomes part of um, our dynamic. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to dive into God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for each and every person who hears my voice right now. Lord, I pray that, um, that your hope and, and would radiate and permeate because through the power of your word, through the presence of, of your Holy Spirit, and the opportunity for us to uh, draw close to you now, Lord, through this word that is God-breathed, that is living and active and, and necessary for encouragement and rebuke, God. May we lean into your word, and may we love it, and may we see it as a light unto our path. God, we pray that during this time that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can turn to 2 Kings chapter 4 if you have your Bibles with you, uh, whether uh, physical Bibles, whether it's on your phone. 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read a large passage of Scripture together in a couple of moments. So go ahead and get opened up to 2 Kings chapter 4. And as I alluded earlier, the, the sermon title is called Too Afraid to Hope. How often we get to a point where we feel too afraid to hope. Now, I'm going to start off with a very minor example, so, so you know, bear with me. Um, how many of you, just from a show of hands, how many of you follow sports here? Um, anyone like, like sports? Okay, wonderful. Um, specifically, um, I know that this is the beginning of the NFL season last week. Um, for, for me, I follow the English Premier League, uh, which is soccer um, across the pond. And so it was the beginning of the season last week. And there's this idea that happens, um, especially uh, when the beginning of a sports season happens, where all of a sudden there's always kind of some hope that, you know, maybe your team will be good this year. Right? Maybe there'll be a turnaround. Maybe people will start to perform better. I mean, last year as the NFL season started, I had no idea that the 49ers would be able to make it to the Super Bowl. And as far as I know, the game ended after the third quarter. So I think we won. I don't know if that's – no, that's not what happened. We lost by a lot. Um, but this idea of recognizing that you don't – you just – you have hope. You, you, you start to think, oh, maybe this is the year that we'll do well. For those of you who raised your hand that are um, fans of sports, if you're specifically – a San Diego Padres fan this year. This year has this season has caused some some excitement and and some uh, some hope in regards to how they're doing. They are playing incredibly well. Uh, they specifically like to do really well against my San Francisco Giants, which again, as far as I know, most of those games end before they start. So I don't. Again, I think we've never lost against you guys. No, um, but there's this idea. I was looking at um, friends of, of who are following different sports teams, and and one of them talks about how you know it's the beginning of the season. I hope that we do well, and then someone else just commented with this idea. You know, it's the hope that kills you. It's the fact that we build our hopes up, and then we end up getting disappointed when the same things happen, when those players don't develop, when the coach still makes mistakes, when and the referees are still not calling the calls that they should or whatever it is. And we start to feel, oh, you know, there goes my hope. And, and it's almost like if your team isn't any good, it's almost like it's better to just not have hope. Because then you don't feel let down. 
this year for the 49ers, it's like, oh, we, we're really close to winning the Super Bowl. And so now it's like, oh, man, like this is, this is the year. They're going to have the revenge tour. That's what they like to call it. And, and here, here's it's going to be. And then a ton of our players have gotten injured. We lost last week. And so it's almost like, oh, if I had no hope about how them doing well, then I wouldn't experience such disappointment. And so, you know, it's early, and I get that, but that's a small example, but it paints a bigger picture. How so many of us, we, we don't want to hope too much. We, we, we want to kind of stay within our lane. Uh, about a little over a year ago, we got to go... Um, on a boat with some friends, and, and they, they took us, and there was, um, you know, an inner tube, and, you know, for, there were a couple of, of younger kids there, and so for the younger kids, they had it just kind of straight in the line, and the, the wake was here, and they were just going steady and, and going moving forward, um, but Shaylin and I went on, and we got a little adventurous, and the driver did a great job of keeping us safe, but also keeping us, I won't say on our toes, because that's a very unsafe way to be on an inner tube, but um, just the idea of holding on for dear life, and, and it's, it's fun, and it's scary, and it's a little overwhelming, but there are times in which that excitement is what we live for. We want to have some excitement. We want to have some hope, but if we've been disappointed in the past... Sometimes we'd rather just have there be a, a boat and they're just, we're holding on and we're in between the wake and it's safe. And so our point for today, as we look at the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman, our main point says this, that we can't let the fear of disappointment cause us to be too afraid to hope. We can't let the fear of disappointment cause us to be too afraid to hope. In other words, we can't just stay within the wake because we've been hurt and we've fallen off of the inner two before. We've fallen off of different aspects in our life when things we hoped and then it didn't go well. And so oftentimes we might be tempted to just say, well, then I'm not going to hope anymore because like my sports teams, if they're always bad, then I never am disappointed. But if I start to have a glimmer of hope, that's when I feel let down. So in our passage today, as we wrestle with this idea of what happens when we become so disappointed that we might become too afraid to hope, we're going to read the story all the way through, all 29, 30 verses. And then I'm going to refer to a few questions I found in the Serendipity Bible for groups, which if you are a small group leader, uh, this is a fantastic resource. Uh, but there's some questions or some points that they bring out that I want us to just dive in to, to see where we can relate to this story. So we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 8, read all the way through the story through verse 37. Verse 8 starts off. One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put, it in, excuse me, put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and he, she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. Verse 14, what can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. 
About this time next year, Elisha said, you will have, excuse me, hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had left, lifted him and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he, she, when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to the servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and, and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she, he took, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on the couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him one more, once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Now, we normally don't read such a long passage, but I wanted us to get an entire picture of this story, of the ups and the downs, the twists and the turns, the disappointment and the hope. Because often, sometimes when we've been disappointed, we, we allow that fear of disappointment to cause us to be too afraid to hope. And so there, uh, on the screen inside your notes, and there's a question that I have of, can you relate? And we're going to have about seven different statements of different ways that are part of the Shunammite woman's story that we may be able to find ourselves in that story too. And how do we wrestle with either the disappointment or the hope that is mentioned or alluded to in these questions? Again, these are from the Serendipity Group Bible. The first one that we might be able to relate. So can you relate? The first one says, I've had a loved one die recently. We start off with one that is obviously very heavy and, and causes grief and is difficult. But 
many of us, we've, we've had a moment where recently we've lost someone we've loved. Maybe if it's been through the pandemic, some of us have lost a, one that we've loved and because of the pandemic, we haven't had the opportunity to properly grieve or mourn them with a memorial or with a service. For others of us, maybe it's not someone we've lost recently, yet as we all know, when the, we grieve the loss of a loved one, the, the waves of grief can hit us unexpectedly. And so this woman who was holding the child she had longed for so much and had been so disappointed in not having that she was even afraid to raise her hopes up in ever having this child in the same way that Abraham had been promised that Isaac was the one that would be able to be the promised one, that through Isaac, the many nations would come. In the same way, this woman received a child that she never thought would come, and yet she held him as he died in her arms. And I wonder if you can relate to that pain of losing someone that you love and feeling that wave of grief that sometimes come when we expect it, when we know something, an important date in our life or a holiday's coming. Other times they come unexpectedly. Can you relate to how she must have felt the disappointment she felt and the hope that she had lost? Number two, God has performed a miracle in my life. Can you relate to this? Perhaps maybe some of you are in a place right now where you are rejoicing at how God has worked a miracle in your life. Maybe it's a relationship that you never thought would be able to be mended, has been mended. Maybe it's the idea of a child you've always wanted is now here. Maybe it's the idea of a job or a career that you desired is now starting to unfold. Maybe it's the idea of wanting to be closer to family and that door has been open, but we're rejoicing in God performing a miracle in our lives. And if that's you right now, this is kind of the outlier in regards to the passage tonight that a lot of the, the ones we're talking about are difficult. But there's a moment in us, and it's important for us to take a moment to, to be still and say, if you are in a moment of rejoicing in God performing a miracle, that, that I encourage you, I challenge you, I, I ask you to write that down, to, to make a note of it, to praise God and to celebrate because in the seasons when God works miracles, we feel closest to him. And it's in the seasons when we feel disappointment that we need to remember how close he once was to us. And so remind ourselves of how God has been working. If you're in that place now, remind yourself constantly so you could hold on to that hope for those nights that you need it. Number three, this, ver this, this idea that says, I've hidden my pain from others. See, the woman hides her pain from her husband and from Gehazi. You know, the son has already died, and when the husband says, you know, why are you going to, to go see Elisha now? It's, it's not a, a, a new holiday or new moon, excuse me. It's not the Sabbath. Why are you going right now? And she says, everything's all right. When Elisha says, hey, go ask her, are, are you all right? Is your husband all right? You know, is your son, your child all right? And she says, everything is all right. How many of us, when someone has asked you how you're doing, oh, I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. How are you? And you twist it on them and ask them the question back before they get a chance to really dive into how you're doing. Maybe you say things like, oh, you know, never better. And in reality, it's never been worse. 
especially in a place where, where as believers, we need to come alongside one another. It's so easy for us to put on a mask, not a literal one, but figurative masks to pretend like we have it all together. When in, real, when in reality, we're hiding our pain. But when we hide our pain from those around us, we experience double the pain. One, we experience the pain that is causing us pain in the first place. And then two, we're experiencing the pain of isolation, of building up walls when what we really need is to build bridges and invite people in. Can you relate to the idea of hiding our pain from those around us? Number four, maybe like the woman you say that you've, I've waited for years for something, something that's vitally important. Maybe again, it's a new job. Maybe it's a new place to live. Maybe it's a, new, uh, it's a marriage that you've been wanting to have that you're not yet married yet. Maybe it's having children. I mean, whatever it is, but you've been waiting for years. And with every time that that hope becomes unfulfilled, what does Proverbs say? That hope deferred makes the heart sick. That maybe your heart is just starting to get a little sick. I've waited for years. Before she even had it brought up to her about having a son. Imagine if her husband is older in age, how many times they'd hoped for a child and how many times a child never came. Maybe you more relate to this idea that I'm afraid of getting my hopes up. Again, in verse 16, when, when Elisha says to her, this time next year, you will have a son. You will hold a child in your arms. What does she say? No, 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 my Lord, please do not get my hopes up. I've been disappointed so much. I'm afraid to hope that you as a man of God may actually be telling me something that I've wanted for so long. Do not get my hopes up. That idea of don't get my hopes up in some of your versions, it says, you know, do not mislead me. Uh, in some of the versions, it says, do not lie to me. And some of the version says, don't get my hopes up. Now, why is that? Because the word for hope, true hope, and the word for a vain hope or hope that won't suffice or won't satisfy are two different words. So this idea here, when it says, don't mislead me, it's this idea of a vain hope. It says, don't give me a hope that cannot come to fruition. Picture the idea of being on a desert and you're walking along and you're parched and as you're trudging in the very hot weather along sand of miles upon miles of sand that seems like it never ends imagine that all of a sudden you see an oasis you, you see the water kind of floating on and you see a tree in the distance you say if I could just get there then I know that I'll be okay I'll be able to satiate my thirst I'll be able to be rejuvenated under the shade of that tree I'll be all right and at the further you walk and the longer you go, you realize that that oasis was just a mirage. It was a vain hope, a hope that will not satisfy. Now, I spent way too much time this past week looking into how mirages work and how there really is something out there in the distance. There really is a body of water. There really is a tree. But the problem is that as the hotter it gets, the layers of the refraction of the angle of refraction makes it look like it's closer. Again, I spent more time and I don't understand it all. But this idea of it's really out there. So 
but the problem is that we think it's going to satisfy much sooner than it is. And she says, don't get my hopes up, man of God. Do not make me think this can happen. Because if you, as a man of God, who I respect enough that as a well-to-do woman, I'm providing you a room, I know that you know God. I know that you are close to him. And if you tell me um, that a year from now, I'm going to have a child, and that's going to get my hopes up. And if I do, and if I don't have a child, the disappointment would be bitter beyond acknowledgement. That some of us are afraid of getting our hopes up. Number six, maybe you've said, I've resented God for giving what I hoped for only to take it away. You've longed for something, someone, something in your life, and and you finally received it, and you cherished it, and you wanted to, to love or to experience or to celebrate or rejoice, and then all of a sudden, it's taken away as quickly as the Shunammite woman's son is taken away when he just says, my head, my head. Commentators believe that he may have had a heat stroke as he was out amongst the reapers, out in the midst of the season of harvesting, and perhaps maybe had a heat stroke or something happened that he died so suddenly. And how easy it is for for the Shunammite woman, how easy it is for us to resent God for taking away that which we've hoped for, that which we've longed for. This one is obviously incredibly painful to acknowledge not just that our hopes have been dashed, but now we are resenting God in the midst of it. And that is painful, but it's also viable and real to feel that anger and that sadness. And as the book of Psalms shows us, God is big enough to handle all of our emotions, all of our anger, all of our sadness, all of our fear. The problem isn't that we have those things. And the problem isn't even that we go to God with those things. The problem happens when we decide to just go away from him. And we don't even bother talking to him about how mad we are. We just stay mad or hurt or angry or fearful. Do some of you resent God right now, even if you don't even know why yet? But as you crack open your Bible, all of a sudden it doesn't feel like he's talking. When you try to pray, it doesn't feel like you're receiving anything. When you come to a service, you feel like you're not learning anything. Are you feeling this resentment and there's this underlying layer of bitterness and anger and upset? that's allowing that to happen or that's causing that to stir up within you. And then number seven, the idea of I've been pretending that everything is all right. Remember we talked about this earlier? The woman says, everything's all right. It's, it's all right, it's fine, I'm fine, it's okay. Have we been pretending? Have we been putting on again a mask that we're play acting a role that everything is fine, when in reality, nothing could be further than the truth. Are we pretending that everything is all right to those closest to us, in this case, to her husband, to those we love and respect, in this case, to Gehazi or the, the Elisha's servant? Are we pretending that everything is fine? So, We've spent several moments just asking some of those questions, and we're going to circle back to those questions at the end of the sermon, but I've only got a couple minutes left. So let me 
talk about the need for hope. Why is it important for us? Why do we need to still hope even in the midst of this disappointment? Why can't we just live between the wakes and not risk going outside of it? Why can't I just kind of go from disappointment to disappointment to disappointment? Why do I have to put hope into something or someone when I'm so often disappointed by the results? So what is the need for hope? So we've got a couple of brief points here that I want to share. The first is that when we've been disappointed enough in the past, we likely stop hoping for the future. We just give up. And we've kind of hit on that a little bit, that when we've been disappointed enough in the past, we, we no longer look ahead to the future. We no longer hope because we're so busy looking back or looking down or looking away. So we don't look ahead and we don't look up. Um, I received uh, or I asked for permission to, to share this story. And um, if those of you are uh, Facebook friends with uh, Christy and Joe Donahue, uh, this past week uh, they were able to celebrate uh, the birth of Cohen, of their son. Now, that's a great story, and he's very cute. Joseph Cohen, uh, going by Cohen, uh, born on September 4th. And so, and then we see big sister Emery. Oh, man, super, super cute. Um, but what I want to share is with these two pictures, Christy opened up a little bit about her story on Facebook, and I got permission to share it. So here's what she said on her post. It said this, Cohen is truly our miracle. After three years of a barrage of medications, daily shots for months at a time, weekly doctor's visits, three heartbreaking losses, and the emotional trauma that comes with all of that, what we are left with is pure bliss and the joy of God's kept promise. We are blessed and eternally grateful that we, grateful, excuse me, that we have been chosen to shepherd this little man through life. He is already loved beyond measure. We share that story because it would have been easy to give up hope because of all the disappointment. And yet, the Donahues kept hoping. And hope is not something that we just blindly do. Hope is something that takes action, and it's hard to do. And yet, if they got to the point where they had been so disappointed through the past that they had stopped hoping for the future, they wouldn't be able to hold Cohen right now. Emery wouldn't be able to be a big sister to Cohen right now. They're able to rejoice in their miracle baby right now because as dark and as difficult as things had been, not giving up that things could become better and that God could keep a promise. The other night, Joe sent a text to me and one other person who was just kind of sharing about how he looked at um, Cohen was in room, uh, sorry, level three in room 25 um, of the hospital. And he shared about how he was walking around that night and he decided to look up through the Bible, various verses, and he found Lamentations 3, verse 25, which says this, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Instead of how easy it would be for us to be disappointed, how easy it would have been for them to stay in their disappointment. That because they were willing to put their hope in God, not a vain hope that's a mirage, but the actual true, one true hope in Jesus Christ in a relationship with him, they're able to celebrate with their son this evening. 
Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Number two, as we continue on, hope. We, why else do we need hope? Because hope serves as our oxygen when we feel like we're drowning. Hope serves as our oxygen when we feel like we're drowning. Uh, like many of you, I imagine, um, I recently started, uh, since it came out in July, started watching Hamilton. Um, watched it a couple of times. A couple might be rounding down. Um, and listening to it quite often, there's a song, though, uh, when, when a character, characters experience a tragedy, there's a time when they're talking about the tragedy, and, and in the song, one of the lyrics says, there are moments when you're in so deep that it feels easier to just swim down. And just that, that visual image really struck me when I heard it. The idea that it's so deep in my pain, so deep in my struggle, I'm drowning in my disappointment and my grief, that it seems easier to, to swim down and embrace the disappointment and the grief and the darkness rather than to swim up to where there would be light and air to breathe. Hope serves as the oxygen when we feel like we're drowning. Emil Bruner says it this way, what oxygen is for the lungs, such as hope for the meaning of human life. Without hope that there's something better ahead, without hope that the difficulties and the disappointments and the discouragements and the hardships of this life, that there's, if, if we don't have a hope that there's something more, then this becomes an incredibly depressing existence. And for much of the world, the reason why we need hope in this season is because all around us is division and discouragement and disease and destruction. And we need to know that all of that division and disease and destruction are not the be-all, end-all of our existence. We need to know that there's a hope, like an anchor for our soul upon which we can hold fast to, a hope that does not leave us to just go from mirage to mirage in hopes of a drink of water, but rather the one who says, I am the living water and who's the real thing and not a mirage at all, but rather the one true God who came into the person of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, coming into the rags of a manger from the riches of heaven so that he could live live a perfect life. He died a horrible death, but he was raised to new life because our sin and our shame needed a punishment. He died on our behalf so that he could raise and that we could raise into a new life and a hope that this world is not the end of the story. But as C.S. Lewis talks about it, Chronicles of Narnia at the end of Last Battle, that all of history has, has just been the first page of the first story and that all of eternity, there's so much more story to be told. Our hope is not just for this world. And sometimes we need to have that oxygen to give us breath when we feel like it's just easier to swim down than drowning. Next point is that hope allows us to trust in the provider and not just the provision. Hope allows us to trust in the provider not in the provision that when we talked about vain hope, hoping in the provision itself, that the woman, the Shunammite woman, if her hope was only in the child, the provision, the gift from the giver, then whenever the child had a difficult time or the child dies, then the hope would die. The disappointment would overwhelm. But instead, our hope is not in just what has been given to us. Our hope is in the giver of good gifts. Our hope is not just in the provision, but it's in the provider. Our hope 
is the same who is yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the provider. And because of that, our hope does not change. Our hope is the same yesterday, today, and forever because our hope is Christ. And so what does it look like for us to recognize that we hope in the provider? We, we ask God and we love God and we trust God, not just for his hands and what he can give to us, but for his face and because of who he is. And we trust him because he's already provided the answer to our greatest need through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we know he has done it. He will continue to do things, and we can trust in him. There's a story uh, of, a, of a man who, uh, a couple hundred years ago, and he um, lost a, a lot in business during a fire that happened in Chicago many, many, you know, a few years before. And he had uh, five kids. One of them uh, died shortly after the fire. So he had a wife, then he had four daughters left. Well, they were planning on going on vacation, but because of some zoning requirements and business that, that kept them in, uh, in Chicago during the, the time of the fire, or shortly after the fire, excuse me, instead of going on vacation with his family, he sent off uh, his wife and his four girls onto the trip, and then he would catch a ship later on to catch up with them. He received a letter from his wife that just said, saved alone. What am I going to do? See, the ship that he, his, his wife and four daughters were on collided with another ship four days into the journey, and the four daughters drowned. The mom, or the, the, the wife and the mom, now childless, says this. She said, um, excuse me, she said, God gave me four daughters, and now they've been taken away from me. Someday I will understand why. It's an example of someone trusting in the provider, in God, and having faith and hope, even in the midst of grief when there's no reason to cling to faith or hope when loved ones have passed away and experiencing a great tragedy. And then lastly, when we put our hope in God, we can truthfully go from pretending everything is all right to proclaiming that it is well. That we are no longer just putting behind behind a mask because our hope isn't in any of the provision that God has. Our hope isn't in what people think of us. It's not in the money that we have or status or our stature or any of these different things that can ebb and flow, that can be given and taken away. But our hope is in Christ. And so when we're able to do that, then we are able to proclaim, it is well with my soul. Not that those difficulties don't come, not that those sea billows don't storm and come and attack us. It's not that we can, may not feel like we're drowning at times, but what it means is in the midst of that, we can say, we're not pretending everything's all right, like the woman did. Everything's all right. Everything's all right. I'm all right. I'm okay. How are you? But instead we proclaim it as well. That story of the, her, the four daughters that drowned, the, the man, the dad's name who had the business and who's now four daughters that drowned, his name's Horatio Spafford. His wife, Anna, is the one that sent that message talking about how she had been saved alone. Now, Horatio ended up going on a boat 
and was going to meet his now grieving wife. And as he's trying to figure out what to say, the ship goes about four days out from the location. And the captain says, you know, this, this is right around where the accident happened. This is right around where your daughters would have died. And in that moment, do you know what he did? He didn't cry out. He didn't scream out. He, well, we don't know all the things he did, but you know what we do know he did? He wrote a hymn called It Is Well. That he could go to the place of deepest disappointment and tragedy. Fix his eyes not on the depths of the disappointment, but to fix his eyes on the hope of eternal life. When we put our hope in God, we are no longer pretending everything's okay. We, like Horatio Spafford, we, like the Shunammite woman who had her son restored, we, like many of us who are watching, can proclaim it is well. Father, we thank you for this evening. And Lord, we know the reason we can proclaim that it is well with our souls is the fact that you sent Jesus and he lived a perfect life and he died a horrible death and he was raised to new life and we have eternal life now so that Horatio could be on that ship and can sing a song of praise and pen the words to a hymn that we still sing to this day, that it is well with my soul. He's able to do that because he knew that the depth of his disappointment and his tragedy and the pain did not end there. Yes, it is real. And yes, our disappointments are real, but so is our hope in you. We don't gloss over our pain and say it is well. We don't pretend everything's fine when it's not, but may we fix our eyes, Lord Jesus, on you and may we have eternity in mind as we go through the ups and the downs the twists and the turns the hopes and the disappointments of this world we love you lord in jesus name we pray amen please feel free